farmer's precious crops lay decimated. The beans were ruined. He looked around. He didn't know what to do. The leaves, flowers and stems looked like skeletons and he gazed at the ruined crops and gasped in horror. What could he do? Who was responsible? And then he saw a big orange beetle munching its way through his soybeans. And welcome to episode 45 of Hinderwings and Bloodlust, a podcast about ladybirds and ladybugs around the world. I'm your host, Rachel. Now, I'm really sorry about this being the first episode I've done in quite a while. I've actually had to re-record this episode. Something went wrong with the sound. I'm not entirely sure what, really. But there's going to be more coming up, but it's going to be quite sporadic for a while, I'm afraid. And I'm not going to be able to do it that regularly for the time being. But when I do get back, I have got some exciting stuff planned, more interviews and that sort of thing. But, you know, it probably won't be for a while. My podcast recommendation for this week is Gardeners of the Galaxy. I discovered the show last year, and if you followed the whole situation with Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, you'll know there's a lot more interest by many people, especially sort of um, horrendously rich billionaires, really. around going into space and this podcast is all about gardening and plants in space and they talk about bees and pollination, space chilies and their genetic adaptations and tomatoes to name a few of the sort of organisms that make their way up there and the show also features interviews with astronauts and people who have actually been up there or are there at the moment and it's got a really lovely host too. So If you're a fan of this show, you probably really like ladybirds. They're very pretty, they're very docile the way they just crawl onto you, and most of all, they do get rid of aphids and other pests very effectively in the garden. They get rid of scale insects from farmers' crops, and the list goes on and on, and they're known as a beneficial insect. And even if you do get a non-aphid-eating or pest-eating ladybird, They can be effective in other ways, for example, getting rid of fungi, eating weeds that are not wanted, and just basically being being good. When you when you see a ladybird, you want you want to see it. But there are some ladybirds that, if you see them, you would not be very ecstatic to see. In fact, they are very unbeneficial, and instead of aphids having a nightmare, you will have a nightmare, and your plants will have. A terrible situation on their hands and today's ladybird is one of them. Don't be fooled by the way it looks, this ladybird is one of the most serious pests in the USA and Mexico and if it turned up in the UK, which hopefully it won't, you'd be obliged to report it to authorities whether that's DEFRA or environmental health or or if you're listening from outside the UK and it turned up there, you would have to tell whoever is in charge of 
dealing with pests, dealing with sort of notifiable pests in your country. It is the Mexican bean beetle, Epilachna varivestis. Other names for it include the soybean ladybird or the bean lady beetle. And it's also been known by a few scientific names, including Epilachna corrupta, which is quite a apt name for the ladybird. This is one of the Epilachnae subfamily of ladybirds. The only other time I've talked about a ladybird from this group was episode 8, the 24 spot. And recent studies suggest that the 24 spot might not actually even be a proper member of this group, might not actually be that closely related at all. And with one or two exceptions, this group of ladybirds differ from other members of the Coxnellidae in one important respect. These ladybirds eat plants. There are a few members of the Epilachinae with a more varied diet, eating fungi and that sort of thing. In that case, they would have re-evolved the ability to eat other things apart from plants rather than eating different diet all along. But this does not include the Mexican bean beetle. The eggs of the Mexican bean beetle look like normal ladybird eggs. If you've ever seen ladybird eggs, apart from the chilicornae, which usually lay their eggs singly, and certain species of inconspicuous ladybirds, they are large, yellow with a slight tinge of orange. So, unfortunately, this means that the Mexican bean beetle's eggs look exactly the same as any other ladybird, so if you find it on your plant, you would not be able to tell the difference. They're about 1.2mm tall, and they are laid in clutches of between 40 and 75 eggs each. In total, five to 600 of them might be laid on one plant, which, as we will go on to see, is not a good thing. When the larvae hatch, they are yellow, soft-bodied and covered in small dark spines, giving them a fuzzy appearance. They won't be longer than around 1.6mm long when they're just out of the egg, but they do grow very rapidly. And in the final instar, which is the final stage before it becomes a pupa, the larvae are between 6 and 9 millimetres long. The pupa is a bit smoother and lighter in colour, although still with some small hairs, and the skin of the larva is at the base of the pupa. All of this makes it very difficult for predators and parasites to gain access to the pupa and um, eat whatever is contained in there. The adult Mexican bean beetle can vary in colour from bright red to rusty brown and even yellow. When it first comes out of the pupa, like many ladybirds, it's a different colour and takes a while for it to sort of develop its spots and all of its markings. And in this case, when it hatches out from the pupa, it's usually a straw or creamy yellow colour. The number of spots varies, but it's usually around eight spots on either side. The spots vary in size quite a lot, and sometimes the spots can be merged. The spots are arranged in horizontal rows along the ladybird's back. On the first two rows from the ladybird's head, there are three dark brown or black spots each, but then on the last row, there are two spots. And on the row of spots closest to the ladybird's head, they form a sort of a zigzag pattern. The legs of the beetle are dark orangey-brown. And, like the larva and the pupa, there are fine hairs all over its elytra and pronotum. And this is a common feature for the Epilachinae ladybirds. The 24 spot and the bryony ladybird also have got 
fine hairs all over their bodies, which is thought to be sort of like a, a safety thing, like a to prevent predators. So, unlike many ladybirds, the male and female Mexican bean beetle are sexually dimorphic. You can tell the male apart from the female because he will have a small notch on the underside of the last segment of the abdomen. And over time, the ladybird's elytra on both sexes will darken until it is a rusty orange colour and the spots will become less and less prominent. They'll sort of blend into the background of the elytra. The Mexican bean beetle is thought to be native to the plateau region of southern Mexico, but it is found in most areas of the USA east of the Rocky Mountains. The beetles are found as far south as Guatemala, where they don't really seem to be that much of a serious pest, and the northernmost end of its range is in New England. They've been found in southern Canada before. Luckily for the Canadians, haven't actually seemed to establish a population there. And in 1933, the Mexican bean beetle was eradicated from Florida, but it was soon found in 1938 again, and by 1942 was firmly well established. A population has also been found in Japan around Honshu, which we've discussed on the show before, but it must have been established unintentionally because nobody would have brought it intentionally. So, why is the Mexican bean beetle a pest? What's the problem with it? As I've already mentioned, the ladybird eats plants rather than aphids, other pests or fungi. And if you're unlucky enough to have five to six hundred of them on your beans, they can devastate your plants. Like other members of the Epilachinae, they feed by scraping the surface of the leaf with specially adapted mouthparts, rather than biting through it like a caterpillar would or sucking up the sap like an aphid. Typically, the larvae will cling to the lower surface of the leaves and start eating. And the result is that they leave the leaves in a lace-like or lattice-like pattern. So all of the green parts of the leaves are scraped away and there is only a lattice of veins remaining. And if you've ever seen pictures of this damage, it is absolutely shocking. They also eat other parts of the plant too. I mean, they mainly feed on the leaves, but they can eat other parts of the plant. Typically, they come out of hibernation in March or April when they start feeding on snap beans or lima beans. But by June, they start laying their eggs or ovipositing on soybean plants. Their favourite food plants are beans and the Mexican bean beetle can feed on most varieties, especially the lima bean, Phaseolus vulgaris and Phaseolus lunatus. According to the University of Florida, a more natural host plant is the common weed beggarweed. And the ladybirds can eat cowpeas, black-eyed peas, mung beans, adzuki, velvet beans, alfalfa, which is the main sort of food plant of the 24 spot as well, and clover, as well as the snap, lima and soybeans. And in particularly bad years, the total defoliation of these plants can happen. Soybeans are very, very vulnerable when the plant is in its pod set and pod fill phase. After the lower surface of the leaves is damaged, the upper surface will also dry out and the plants will really look in a bad way. And given that these ladybirds are sort of feeding mostly sort of like in the southern USA and places where it gets very hot, when the plant dries out, this is, this is even worse news, I, I'm afraid. 
And I've given a link in the show notes so you can all see how bad it can actually get. Typically, the larvae do much more damage than the adults, and they can also eat the flowers and seed pods of the plants as well as the leaves. It's worth mentioning as well that with many ladybirds, when the time is coming, when they need to start to think about overwintering, they'll go for less damaging food like pollen, nectar and more sugary food. So they, they're not just feeding on beans all the time. When it gets to sort of um, the time when they need to think about hibernating, they will start going for the pollen and, and stuff. And it used to be that as soon as an infestation was discovered, insecticides were immediately applied against the beetle. As more awareness has grown about the dangers of pesticides, there's more and more biological control that's now being turned to as a uh, method to fight fight these infestations. And in North America alone, there are known to be 17 types of predators that feed on the eggs, larvae and pupae. But due to the bitter chemicals that the beetles can give off, and especially the hard wing cases of the adults, this ladybird isn't usually a predator's first choice. The larvae are a bit more vulnerable to things like spine soldier bugs, which is a major predator. There are a few species of parasitic wasps and flies which specialise in targeting the Mexican bean beetle and its relatives, such as the squash beetle. And I'm planning to do an episode on the squash beetle coming up. That is equally horrific. So watch out for that. But these flies include the tachinid fly, Paradexides epilachinae, and the eulophid wasp, Pediovis foveolatus. Paradoxides epilachinae are not native to uh, the USA, so when the farmers want, want these uh, flies, they have to import them in order to tackle the infestation. So what will happen is that the wasps and flies will lay their eggs in larvae or pre-pupae, they will develop inside, and they'll attack the pupa from the inside. They'll then hatch out and they'll kill it. That might actually sound a bit horrible, but the wasps do serve a purpose. They're actually pollinators as well. They're good for plants in more than one way. Although their lifestyle is a bit gruesome, you know, they're food for other things, and they they are part of the ecosystem. Like, we're not just using these wasps just to, like, have our way and grow lots of beans. And also, if you think about this as well, each egg that these wasps lay will only kill one beetle. They're only killing it for food and to survive, whereas compared to the countless numbers of insects that humans kill, like, literally every day, there's no, there's no comparison, because they're only killing what they can eat, basically. There are a few varieties of soybeans that are resistant to the Mexican bean beetle. They'll either harm them, or they'll avoid. And so, of course, with any pest, including aphids and scale insects, the healthier the plant is, the more likely it is to withstand attempts to eat it and put its own chemical defence up. So, if a plant has already got a problem... The problem is just going to keep on getting worse. Nonetheless, lima beans do tend to be less preferred than snap beans. And out of all the different types of snap beans that there are, 
wax beans are the most susceptible to the Mexican beetle infestation. If they're grown near snap beans, other types of beans, like mung beans, will get attacked by these ladybirds when they've got quite refined tastes to want to go for mung beans. But if you don't grow the mung beans near snap beans, they'll just leave them alone. So that's the trick. Don't grow snap beans near anything, I suppose. And if more than 10 to 20% of the leaves are damaged, then this will affect the number and quality of beans that are produced from each plant. A 1950 study in Canada found that cold temperatures, especially prolonged, were often fatal to the Mexican bean beetle, especially if they occurred over long periods and affected younger stages such as the pupae, larvae and newly emerged adults. For example, a temperature of 0 degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit, when it was maintained for 12 days, was fatal to all pupae. At the time when the study was carried out, these beetles were only present in small areas and didn't cause much damage to the beans. But with warming temperatures, this sort of heightens their survival chances and it changes their behaviour, their reproductive fitness and the likelihood of these beetles to survive the winter. So with climate change, the, there is more of a distinct possibility of it becoming an even worse pest than it is now. It is estimated that Mexican bean beetles are the primary defoliator of dry beans, or Phaseolus vulgaris, in the Midwestern USA. Dry beans are thought to be able to tolerate a population of between 12 and 20 Mexican bean beetles per plant, without significant loss to the yield of the crop. But this also depends on other factors like temperature, humidity, quality of the soil and other pests affecting the plants. Another study in Wyoming found that pinto bean plants that were deliberately infested with Mexican bean beetle larvae can only sustain between 1 and 1.5 larvae on average per plant without affecting the crop yield. If there's more than one, you can't just leave them to it. You've got to like do something about it. Another way in which the ladybirds can damage beans is that they can transmit mosaic cowpea virus. This virus is found to be transmitted at equal rates by both adults and larvae. The symptoms of the virus include discoloration of the leaves, a mosaic-like appearance, mottling, yellow spots, chlorosis of the veins, or the veins becoming discoloured, and deformation of the leaves. The virus also affects the growth of the plant and can result in dwarfing or the plant not growing to a normal size. And if all this sounds terrible, then it is terrible, but don't worry. Humans can't get it. Only plants can get it. But if your plants do get it and your crops fail as a result and they all get sick and they all get this terrible leaf discoloration virus, it can be very bad and can affect your food supply. You might be tempted to ask yourself at this point, is there actually anything good about the Mexican bean beetle? And for most of history, the answer has been thought of as no. Farmers have been encouraged to treat their crops with pesticides the moment an infestation appears. And if you search Mexican bean beetle in Google, you will come up with page after page of websites bemoaning the damage to farmers and gardeners' plants and articles and videos by countless pest control companies giving advice on what to do and attempting to sell various methods of control of these beetles.
There's even one video I saw explaining why the Mexican bean beetle was not a ladybug. It is a ladybug. It is part of the Coccinella D, which is the ladybug family, but it's just not a very good one. But it has actually been found that the Epilachinae ladybirds do actually have a positive use. As they're invasive plants that can outcompete native species and choke crops, plant-eating ladybirds have been investigated as a method of biological control. And chrysomelid beetles, which are of a similar size, are also frequently used as a biological control. They can be a very destructive pest, like there's rosemary beetles, lily beetles, and that kind of thing. They're all um, chrysomelids. And if you get one of those in your garden, you'll probably like gasp with horror. But recently, a South African study investigated the use of another Epilachinale ladybird, Marder polluta, as a biological control for an invasive plant called Tecoma stans, or the yellow trumpet bush. And this yellow trumpet bush originated in South America, but it's now invasive in Africa. And the results have been so successful that it's sort of um, been recommended for a release to just control this horrible invasive plant. So who knows, one day the Mexican bean beetle might actually have a similar use. So we know that the Mexican bean beetle is sensitive to factors including the temperature and various pesticides and parasitic wasps, as well as the strain of plant it's attacking and the health of the plant. Another method that's been used to try and stop these beetles is the use of a push-pull plantation system. That avoids a monoculture, which can discourage pollinators and predatory insects, by growing plants that encourage natural predators such as parasitic wasps and nematode worms in between the soybean crops. And in one study in the Ecological Engineering Journal in 2020, soybeans were interspersed with French marigolds and bordered with wax snap beans. And as we've seen, the wax snap beans are the Mexican bean beetles' preferred food. Out of all the snap beans that they like, they prefer the waxy ones the most. So the hope was that maybe they'll go for the snap beans and the marigolds will encourage these predators to thrive. The results were really encouraging because parasitic wasps were more common in the push-pull treatment than they were in simply a soybean monoculture. The ladybirds preferred the snap beans to the soybeans and so encouraging the predators to, to come also drove them away from the soybeans even more. There is one more surprising finding that I want to point out. You might have heard of ozone in the context of the hole or in the ozone layer. It consists of three oxygen atoms together, as opposed to two, or one. In most of the oxygen that is found in air, it comes in the form of O2. And ozone is naturally found above the Earth in a layer called the ozone layer. And it was found in the 80s that various chemicals emitted by fridges and other household equipment were contributing to this hole in the ozone layer, which meant an increase in global warming. But... Did you know that ozone is also found on Earth? It is a pollutant and is formed from the interaction of sunlight with hydrocarbons and nitrous oxide from car exhausts. And it has one other quite bad, undesirable effect. In a study in 1988, it was discovered that Mexican bean beetles were more destructive the more the plants they were feeding on were exposed to ozone. 
the poor soybean plants were placed in chambers which were either filtered for ozone or non-filtered and ozone was then pumped into the chambers. Leaves from the plants were then brought back to lab and fed to the Mexican bean beetle larvae. As the leaves were damaged from the ozone, it was found that the more they'd been exposed to, the more the Mexican bean beetles were able to feed and the heavier they were when they became pupae. That means that if your soybeans are near a very busy road with lots of car fumes and lots of ozone, the more danger they could be in. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like this show and want to support me, you can buy me a coffee on Ko-fi, www.co-fi.com slash hwabpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at hwabpodcast or on Instagram at 365.ladybird or like my Facebook page, Hidden Wings and Bloodlust. You can follow me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. All my sources are listed in the show notes and music is by Deborah Torrance. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.